will pierce the night and I will rise among the saints my gaze transfixed on Jesus face um, there will be a day the Bible says where each and every single one of us will stand before God it's appointed a man to die once and then judgment and we'll give an account for our life and the main account that we will give is to whether or not we have put our faith and trust in whether or not we have believed the good news and, and, and not believing not just acknowledging it but, but receiving it loving it treasuring it and by it I mean all that God has done for us in sending his son to die on the cross for our sins and then rising again on the third day and there'll be a day where we do where we do see his face and as his people we will rejoice in it and if you've not believed you will the Bible says that people will call out for the mountains to fall on them and for the rocks to cover them because of the wrath of the lamb that is coming and I just, if you would, would you just bow your heads with me? And I just want to pray right now um, that yes, because certainly someday each one of us will see his face. Um, but how we respond in that day when we see his face is determined by whether or not we see his face now. <laughs> I don't know how else to say that. That what saves you is seeing Jesus Christ is beautiful. And Father, I pray right now, I just pray for everybody here, that God, you would cause the eyes of our hearts to be opened, that, you, that we would know the hope to which you have called us. The riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints and your incomparably great power towards us who believe. That power is like the working of your mighty strength, which you exerted in Christ Jesus when you raised him from the dead and seated him at your right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given in this age and the one to come. Oh, Father, please help us to see you now by faith, the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. It's good to be with you, church. Um, good to worship with you. I thank the worship team for just uh, helping to lead our hearts um, and turn them upwards towards God. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please grab them and go to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. We will be uh, in the first seven verses. If you're visiting with us, this is what we do. We open up God's Word and we just kind of walk through it week by week. Uh, we believe in the power of His Word and the power of His Spirit working together uh, to change our lives. And so we want to be a people that are submitted to His Word. And so for the most part here on Sunday mornings, um, this is what you'll see us doing is just walking through a passage of Scripture. Now, we've been in First Peter for uh, a couple of months, and I've not been in it the last, the last couple of weeks. Um, we've had some different things going on here, and so I want to review quickly, because Peter is in a portion of the letter uh, right now where he is intentionally connecting the dots between the glorious gospel, uh, gospel means good news, the glorious good news that has saved us, um, and he's connecting the dots between that good news and before uh, the holy lives that we are to live 
before a watching world. And so I just want to go back very quickly. I'm not going to quote uh, uh, the reference or the verse, but if you'll just begin in First Peter chapter 1, you should be able to pick up where I'm getting this from. And I just want to kind of, in just bullet form or just a kind of machine gun style, just, just quickly catch us up on all of the good news that Peter has already laid out before us. Because everything that he's going to be talking about and has been talking about in this portion of the letter that's a little bit more practical and tangible as to how the gospel is to be lived out in our lives is built upon this good news of what Jesus has done for us. Okay, uh, and so I just want to go back and review that very quickly. And so just listen, um, and I hope it causes you to rejoice. He has, if you're believe, if well, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you know Jesus as your Savior, this is this is true for you. That He foreknew you means He He foreloved you, and He elected you in eternity past, and He calls you to walk in obedience, not to gain acceptance but because you have been acceptance, accepted. He has shown you mercy. He has given you new life. He has given you a new living hope. He has given you an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. He has given you the security of knowing that you are being guarded by his power through faith. He has given you the privilege of facing trials and difficulties that are not meaningless but they serve a purpose, the purpose of refining your faith and bringing glory to him. He has given you the ability to love him even though you have not seen him. That's what I just prayed for a little bit ago, that the eyes of your heart would be opened. But he has given you the ability to love him even though you have not seen him. He gives you joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. He has given you this good news message of grace that previous generations long to look for. And long to understand before the cross. And now we have it given to us. He has given you a new identity as his holy children. He gives you the honor and unbelievable privilege of calling him your father. Because he is. He ransomed you from a life of futility. And he, brought, and he bought you with the precious blood of Christ. He has purified your soul and caused you to be born again through the imperishable seed of his word. He is building us who have trusted in him into a spiritual house for his presence to dwell in. He has given us the certainty of knowing that when we trust in him, we will never be put to shame. And then I don't know what else to do other than to just read to you verses 9 and 10 from chapter 2 as Peter just continues this list. He says, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Will somebody please say amen? Amen. amen. That is just a little bit just a little bit of the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And again, it's important to review all that because now in this section of the letter where Peter is speaking of what we must do, it's always important that as Christians that we, we, we frame what we do in light of what is true or in light of what, of what he has done. And so 
As you follow on there in, in the end of chapter 2 and coming into chapter 3, um, Peter again is, is, is connecting these dots between what we believe and the way that we live. And guys, that's important, right? We've talked about this before. But that's important. That what we believe does has to have to come out and have an effect on our lives. Otherwise, it is proof that we do not believe it. Okay? And so what, he's been, what Peter's been focusing in on is three very specific real-life contexts um, in which the gospel uh, is to play itself out. It plays itself out in every part of our life, but there's three specific contexts that Peter focuses on uh, that we are to live in light of the gospel, this, this life of discipleship as his, as his disciples. The first one uh, that we saw was how to live in relation to government authorities. And again, especially back in this day, it would have been very, 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 very evil and wicked government government authorities, yet Peter still tells us to, to honor them and to submit to them um, and to love them. Secondly, he tells us how to live as servants and masters or employees and employers uh, would be a very real um, uh, takeaway. But today, what, he's, what, what we're going to look at, the context that he has in mind, um, is that of marriage. Marriage. Husbands, husbands and wives. And what does it look like to be a mature disciple of Jesus Christ in the context of marriage? Uh, this is a very, a very important question. Um, one of the things that's uh, in, I call it church land, and by church land I just mean like all the internet and the blogs and the books and the conferences and stuff like that that's going on in Christianity, especially here in the West right now. One of the words that everybody is all about, and I think rightfully so, is discipleship. Okay, discipleship, 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 discipleship. And um, I want to call it a buzzword, but I don't, you know, it, it shouldn't just be a buzzword. It, it's, it's important. I mean, it's what Jesus called us to do in the Great Commission, his marching orders to the church before he ascended back up into heaven after he'd risen from the dead. He, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. So it needs to be more than just a, a buzzword or a fad. Um, however, in, in, in all this talk about this, one of the things that, that I'm constantly... Um, uh, kind of processing with people and trying to work out, and it's frustrating to me, is that we, is that we have what seems to be a very uh, narrow view of what discipleship is, uh, or uh, maybe called like a reductionistic view of discipleship. And by that, I mean this is that most of the time when I talk about, if I'd ask somebody, are you involved in discipleship? The way that they would take that, or what I would mean by that, is that do you meet with a group, do you meet with like one-on-one -on -one with another person, or do you meet with like a group of two or three? maybe once a week or once every other week or once a month, and that's your discipleship time. Now, li listen, I'm all about little groups like that. I'm all about mentoring and one-on-one, -on -one, getting together and reading the Bible together and, and sharing with one another and holding each other accountable or, or in a little group. Or if you, For those of you guys that go here, we have the E2 course, and we have people broken up into cohorts, which are usually groups of about four, where we do this. So th there's nothing bad in and of that, but my in and of itself, but I, the problem with it is, is that when we call that discipleship, we tend to imply that everything else isn't. You follow? So it's kind of like, although I don't have as much of a problem with it, is like when we say, well, I'm going to church. Well, we don't really go to church. We are the church, right? Yeah, we, we know what we mean, and it's, and it's okay, and some of that can just be semantics, um, but here's what happens, is that when we have this narrow view of what discipleship is, we tend to just view that times, okay, I'm, I'm a disciple now. This is discipleship. And the rest of our life kind of gets left behind. And, and it's why we have such a compartmentalized faith. 
And by that, what I mean is we have, especially in this area, we have very much what you would just call a Sunday morning Christianity, or maybe a Sunday morning and a Wednesday night Christianity. But the rest of our life is just kind of lived however, and then we come back into this space where we want to give God everything. Listen, if you've believed in Jesus Christ, you are a disciple, okay? It's part of your identity. It's part of who you are. You are a disciple. Therefore, all of your life is discipleship. Are you with me? And for those of us, for men and women that, that, that are married, the primary space in which you are going to live the vast majority of your adult life as a disciple is in the context of marriage. And I would argue that one of the reasons why um, many marriages are not thriving is because we do not view our marriages through the grid of discipleship. And what I want to propose to you this morning, and that I think that Peter's going to give us a picture of what this looks like out of this text, is that um, wives... You are given to your husbands to disciple them. Husbands, you are given to your wives to disciple them. That together, God has placed you together, yes, for your happiness, yes, for your enjoyment, but also for your holiness. For the sake of letting Christ be formed in you. And when we again, have a narrow view of discipleship, that discipleship is just something over here in this little group or, or, or this little time and space that we have, um, we tend to not view the rest of it uh, through that lens, and therefore we don't fully live in the fullness of what it means to be a disciple um, and what it means to disciple those in our lives that God has given us. You, you've heard me say this before, but... Um, uh, it's not a matter of whether or not you make disciples, folks. If you're a Christian, you're making disciples because people are watching your life. The question is, what type of disciples are you making? Are you making wholehearted, full-on, passionate worshipers of Jesus Christ? Which is part of how I would define what a disciple is. Or are you discipling people saying, yeah, you know, this whole Jesus thing, it's just for Sunday mornings. That's what it's about. And we're all going to stand before God and we're going to give an account for how we've walked out that, that great commission and how we have, uh, um, how we have communicated what, what a disciple is. And so, again, in all that, what, what Peter's going to flesh out for us this morning is what it looks like to be a disciple as a wife and what it looks like to be a disciple um, as a husband. And just a quick word here to those of you that, that, that aren't married. Um, just a little reminder that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, <clears throat> he says very clearly, all of Scripture, and so including this, all of Scripture is breathed out by God, and all of Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that we may be complete and equipped for every good work. And so I, just, I say that because I don't want you to tune out this morning if you're single or if you're young, or if you're not married yet, because there are a ton of takeaways here um, for what it still means for you to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ, because while we may not all be married, all of us in this room are either a man or a woman. And uh, us being a wife or us being a husband um, is built upon the foundation uh, of our sexuality, either being a man or a woman, um, in the way that God has, has created us, and it has great effects for how we're to honor and glorify him in our lives. So, does it make sense? 
You with me? And so when I say that wives you are given to disciple your husbands, to help them mature, you're like, "Mm mm-hmm, I know that's right. Believe me, I've been working on it, but well, here's what I want to say. (laughs) Here's what I want to say is let Peter tell you this morning what that looks like. And husbands, if you're like, oh, I know, I've been telling her. I'm giving for your sanctification. Um, let, let Peter tell you what that, what that looks like. Um, and if I had to sum this up quickly, what I would say is what Peter is going to put forward this morning for the ladies first, and we're going to do ladies first just because it comes first in the text, is that, ladies, he wants you to understand what biblical beauty looks like. He wants you to understand what biblical beauty looks like. You know, back in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, before sin ever enters the scene, uh, God is creating, you know, the stars and the heavens and the earth and the sea and the fish and all this stuff. And the refrain that is echoed over and over and over again in that story is, and it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. And then finally you come to Genesis chapter 2, and, and the Bible says that um, God saw that it was not good, that it was not good for the man to be alone. Okay? And so what does God do? He, he creates the woman. And what does the woman? She brings in this, this, this beauty. She brings in something that was lacking. Even though God had created it and was good, and, and again, sin has not entered yet. Um, and so, ladies, what, what Peter's going to put forward here this morning is in order to disciple your, your husband in a way that, that helps bring him to maturity in Christ, uh, he wants you to embrace biblical beauty. And then, guys, we'll get to what it looks like to be a Christ-like leader, which is what Peter's going to describe for us then down in verse, in verse 7. But ladies, um, four things, four things regarding biblical beauty. And again, I believe that these things will help you uh, disciple your husband um, and, bring him, and help bring him to, to maturity in Christ. Number one, you have to understand, ladies, that submission is beautiful. And therefore, you have to embrace it. It's beautiful to God, and it is beautiful to your husband, and it is beautiful to a watching world, okay, that is viewing your marriage. The point of marriage, guys, just to, to remind you, is that God would be honored and glorified in the picture that marriage is of Christ's relationship with his church. Christ is the groom. We, the church, are the bride. In the same way, that's why marriage is given to us, that each marriage would be a picture of that relationship with, with Christ and his church. And ladies, the first thing that Peter's going to point to as a mark of beauty is that of submission, of submission. And I want you just to, just to listen, because I know that word, especially you know, in our culture, it, it, it's, um, it doesn't seem like it's beautiful. It's something that people want. But guys, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, but if you look with me, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Likewise, wives, he says, be subject to your own husbands. So again, he doesn't say to all men here, okay? There's no chauvinism. It's, it's be subject to your, own, to your own husbands. Be subject. It's the word submit. So that even if some do not obey the word, they, may, they be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. Also, if you'll jump down to verse 5, he says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves. Adorn themselves. How? By submitting to their own husbands. Now here's why I say that submission is beautiful. That word for adorn in the Greek is the word cosmio. It's literally where we get the word cosmetics. Okay? 
Um, and so when he's saying here to adorn yourself, it's, it's the idea of making yourself beautiful. How? By choosing, by choosing to submit. And guys, submission is not just something that is for wives. Men, I want to remind you of this. That submission is not just something that your wife is called to. In fact, if you look at the very first word of verse 1 there, he says, likewise. Okay, so again, he's been rolling out these different contexts in which um, we're to live lives of disciples in these specific arenas of life. And you remember back in verse 13, this is for all of us. Be subject, again, it's the word submit. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution that all of us are submit are to submit to governing uh, authorities. Also verse 18, servants or employees, submit, subject yourselves to your masters with all respect. Submission is not just for women, but in the role of marriage, submission is the idea of, of coming alongside to help and to serve. And it has nothing to do, it has nothing to do with your intrinsic value or your, or your um, uh, identity before God. All of us have equal access to God. In fact, Peter's going to make this very clear once we get down to verse 7. I'll point this out, that we're all fellow heirs of the, of the grace of life. But women, you are never more beautiful than when you submit to your husband. It was an act of submission on Christ's part that saved us. It was in the garden, and he knew on the night that he was going to be betrayed, and he knew all the, all the pain, all the agony that was about to come from him having his back whipped and the crown of thorn put on his head and, um, and his hands and feet nailed to a cross. And it was an act of submission on Christ's part, saying, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me but not my will, but yours be done. That's submission. Christ had a will. He had a desire. He said, Father, if there's any other way, I'd like to avoid this pain, but not my will. Not my will, but yours, but yours be done. Submission is an act of beauty. And again, I love that word for adorn there, um, talking with cosmetics and makeup, and you guys probably took some time this morning. To put that, to put that on, um, but have we taken the time uh, to make ourselves beautiful in God's sight by living a life of submission and surrender? Number two, um, it's also beauty, beauty is also found not in coercive speech, but in committed conduct. Not in coercive speech, but in committed conduct. He says, "Wives, subject, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, listen." They may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. Now, is he saying that, that wives can't speak? Is he saying that wives can't share their opinion? Is he saying that wives can't, can't speak up when something's wrong in their marriage or when something's bothering them? Absolutely not. You have every right to share. But what he's saying is, is don't let the primary way that you, that you display your beauty be in the power of your words but in your committed conduct, he says that they may be won by the conduct of their wives, verse 2, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. The idea there with respectful and pure is just this idea that it's pure, not like it's, it's totally perfect, but that it has a primary focus. That, ladies, that everybody should know that there's only one man in your life. Well, maybe two if you count Jesus, but, you know, Jesus, and then your husband. 
That's it. Your husband should know that you are committed to him. And Peter's going to go on, if you'll jump down to verse 6, and he's going to give the, a, a very specific illustration of this. He uses the uh, illustration of Abraham and Sarah um, in the Old Testament. Of course, Abraham and Sarah, kind of the, 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 the father and mother of our faith. Um, God first calling them in Genesis chapter 12 to leave what they knew and to go to a land that he would show them. But here's what he says. He says, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Now listen, verse 6. Ladies, this might rub you the wrong way, but just hang in here and let me explain what he's saying, okay? <laughs> because it's really beautiful. Verse 6. As Abraham, as, or I'm sorry, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you're like, what does that mean? Okay, guys, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that when you're outside this afternoon or something and your wife, you know, opens the door and says, hey, sweetie, can you come in here for a minute? Guys, it doesn't mean that you go, didn't you hear the sermon this morning? You need to call me Lord first, okay? That, that, is, not, that is not what it's saying, okay? Um, if I can get this verse up on the screen, um, Aaron, do you have this one in Genesis? Okay, here is the only place in the Old Testament where it referred, where, where it tells us that Sarah called Abraham, Lord. And I want you to look at the context of what he's talking about because it's pretty neat. So God had promised Abraham and Sarah that they were going to have a child. Just a little backdrop here. Um, and uh, of course, they were, old, they were already old when he promised them this. And now it's been almost 20 years later. So, so they were old before. Now they're 20 years beyond old. They're really old. And God shows up to Abram. Uh, it's called a theophany in the form of these three like big divine divine people. Um, and, he, and he comes walking up to Abram, Abram's tent, um, and these, these God, they, they say to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he, being Abraham, said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind them. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, and in case you didn't get it, advanced in years. <laughs> Uh, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So when Sarah hears this, that God shows up and says, you're going to have a son, even now, years later. Okay, verse 12. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out, and here it is, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said, and so again, she's by herself, and the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed... Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. But he said, no, you, you, you did laugh. Anyway, but here, here's the point, verse 12, okay? When she, calls him, when she calls him Lord, it's not even to him. Nobody else is even around. Here's the point. Here's the point, ladies. Is that Sarah's default way of referring to her husband was simply one of respect. And the question I would ask you, ladies, as if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, seeking to honor and glorify him in all that you do, is the default way that you speak about your husband, listen, not even to his face, although that's important too, but just how do you speak about your husband when he's not around? How do you speak about your husband to your girlfriends? That's what it's calling for here. And not that you have to use the actual word Lord. I mean, that's kind of old and archaic. We wouldn't use that today in our language. But is the default way that you speak about your husband when he's not around in a, such a way that it shows honor and it shows respect 
and it shows that you love him. That's part of God's will for you in being beautiful, in bringing beauty into your marriage and helping to disciple your husband, that he would know that you're committed to him, your committed conduct and your committed speech. Thirdly, that you don't prize outward beauty over inward beauty. Okay? Look at verse 3. He says, do not let your adorning be external. And I like the NASB here because it really is the idea in the original language. The, the, the NASB um, adds the word merely. So it says, do not let your adorning be merely external. He's not saying that you can't dress up. He's not saying that you can't look nice. He's not saying that you can't put on jewelry and, and, um, and makeup and that type of stuff. But he's saying, don't have all of your identity be in that. Don't let that be the primary way in which, um, in which you make yourself beautiful. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry or clothing that you wear. He said, now get this, ladies. This is so awesome. Verse 4. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And again, this doesn't mean that you don't talk, but gentleness and quiet here, it's, it, it's, it's, it's the idea of peacetime as opposed to war. It's the idea of like, ladies, you ever have your husband come in from you know, a hard day of work or just whatever, and he's just kind of all fired up, is that when he encounters you, that you're able to bring peace, peace to him because you are at peace. Because you have taken time, and, and I love this, and this would be my question to you ladies, have you taken time to beautify the hidden person of the heart? Did you even know that there was a hidden person of the heart? There's the outer person and the inner person, and that's for both men and women. But ladies, have you taken time to make yourself beautiful inwardly? And here's the thing, the Lord's the, the one that ultimately does that. He's the one that, as we read earlier, he, he purifies our souls through the work of the gospel. But God wants you to take time and I want you to understand the, the logic behind what he's saying here. He wants you to take time to make yourself beautiful inwardly because he says this kind of beauty, it is imperishable. It will never fade. It is scientifically true of both men and women that our ears and our noses never stop growing. Did you know that? Okay. We're all just freaks waiting to happen. I'm telling you. Um, it's scientifically true. My point being, ladies, is that you can try, and there's nothing wrong with putting some effort into looking nice. That's great. But it's going to perish. You can't hang on to that beauty. It will fade. Guys, I'm telling you, like, you can try to be all buff and in shape. It's going to fade, okay? It's going to happen. You can't hang on to it forever. And so God, in this very kind, practical instruction through Peter here, is telling us, don't, don't, don't worry about that. That's not what true beauty is anyway. True beauty is taking care of the inner person of the heart. Ladies, how much time do you take to adorn the inner person of your heart? That's what God sees as beautiful, and that is also what will help bring your men into full maturity in your life as you focus on that. And finally, here's the last point of uh, what Peter describes, I believe, as biblical beauty. Is that you fearlessly, you fearlessly face the future by having hope in God. 
Verse 6 says that Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good. And listen, I love that she has this. And do not fear anything that is frightening. Ladies, how much time, how much of your thoughts, how much of your emotional energy is spent worrying about the future? If you got kids, if you got kind of a knucklehead of a husband, who's <laughs> been making some bad decisions lately, um, there can be a lot of reason for fear. Okay? But what the gospel gives to us is a truth, is a promise that if you've believed in Jesus, that God is your Father. And He is looking over your life. He is watching over you. And as he says in verse 5, he wants your hope to be in God. Uh, I believe it is my job, as much as is possible, to labor to rightly divide the word of truth, um, as Paul tells Timothy to do. And, uh, and so that means taking everything, not just randomly from the Bible, but understanding it in its context and what the point of the author was when he was, when he was penning it through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Proverbs chapter 31, uh, I say all that because I really want to claim this verse in Proverbs 31 as my own. But it's not for me. It's for you ladies. Um, there are other places I can go. But man, I love, the way, I love the way this verse reads. I just want you to listen to this, ladies. Proverbs 31, 25. It's, it's speaking of a lady whose hope is in God. It says, Strength... And dignity are her clothing. And I love this last, last part. And she laughs at the time to come. She laughs at the future. Not in a flippant like, ah, uh-huh, whatever. No, she, she laughs at it because she is not afraid of it. She has no fear whatsoever of the future. Why? Because she knows that her hope is in God. Ladies, do you know that this morning? Is your hope ultimately at the bottom, at the foundation of absolutely everything, do you have a hope that is rooted in Almighty God? That the sovereign God, the creator of the universe, he is your father, you are his daughter, and he loves you, and he is going to take care of you. And the thousands of years ago, when God came to Abram, he said, Abram, get up and go. I want you to leave everything that is familiar, everything that is comfortable to you, everything that that you know, And I want you to go to a land that I will show you. Sarah went along, and she put her hope in God. And he took care of her. And ladies, the good news is this morning is that God is going to take care of you too. If Jesus Christ is your Savior, and you've put your, your faith and trust and have your hope in God, then you too are able to laugh with joy at the time to come. And my question to you this morning is, are you able to do that? Like, honestly. Are you able to laugh at the time to come? That is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And that is what biblical beauty is, I believe. And it is that biblical beauty as it is cultivated in the life of your family and in your marriage that is going to allow your husband to be all that God has called him to be, which is also going to be for your good. Amen? Secondly, husbands. Now, you might be thinking, why do the wives have six verses and the husbands only have one verse? 
verse 7. Uh, it's not because there's more put on the wives, I believe. Um, I believe it's because, ladies, this is just what we can handle, okay? Just one, one verse, but, it, but it's packed. And I had four points for you, and I've got four points for the husbands uh, as well. Husbands, there's two primary things. There's two primary commands in verse 7 that God wants us to exhibit in our lives if we are going to be Christ-like leaders, okay, that he calls us to be. And again, to disciple our wives, to allow them to reach their full potential in Christ. Number one, these are all in verse 7, you must take the time, the energy, and the effort to understand your wife's perspective. Okay? Again, very practical, very clear. Let me show you where I'm getting it. Verse 7, he says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in a what? In an understanding way. In an understanding way. Now, this word for understanding, uh, you've heard me touch on this before, but it's the same word that sometimes is, is translated knowledge in the New Testament, but it's not, just, it's not just head knowledge. It's not just facts. It's experiential knowledge. Okay? Um, I know some things about how you treat cancer, but I've never had cancer. I know that, you know, you might have to do radiation or chemo or, I know, you know, maybe some of the effects of what might happen as you take those things and, and how hard it can be. But I speak about it as somebody who's never been through it, and so I don't really fully understand it like somebody who's been through it like somebody who's undergone radiation and chemo and, and is, or maybe had surgery or whatever. Um, I don't speak with, to it in a way of what, what Peter's talking about, in a truly understanding way. If somebody else is going through cancer, I want it to relate with them as much as I can, but if I don't have cancer, I want to find somebody else who's had cancer and who has been through that to come alongside them because they're going to be able to speak to that in a more understanding way. And what, what Peter is calling us to do here, husbands, is to take the time to truly understand our wives. I, I hope I can explain this well without being offensive, but I think it's very true to life, and I think that you'll follow me on this, okay? But guys, has your wife ever begun to roll out for you some difficulties that she's facing in her life? Yes? Anybody? Okay, okay. Th th two of you, okay. This is going to go great. <laughs> um, and as she's telling you what she's facing, in your mind you're going, I've got the answer. Anybody? I got, I, I, answer, man, right here. I got the answer. And so, now, if you're, if you're young in your marriage, guys, you, you might make the mistake of just jumping in right away, cutting her off, and going, hey, I, know, oh, I, I, got, I got the solution. But if you're more mature, you, even, you might wait till she's totally done. And then you might come in, and you might be like, sweetie, I've got the solution. And in that moment, you feel like you've got the big S on your chest, you've got the cape flailing in the wind, like you're there, like I, I got... And as you begin to tell the answer, she goes, I don't want to, I, I don't need you to answer this for me. And you're going... What? What are you talking about? Anybody? Anybody? Any guys at all? Okay. Just let me, maybe it's just me. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <clears throat> but here, here's what Peter is, is getting at. 
is guys, we, we like to understand where they're coming from. And in those moments where they're telling us something that they're facing, we are wired to provide for them, to care for them, to, to help them, to serve. We want to do that. But almost always, we only listen to a place where we get it here and we don't get it here. And when Peter is calling for us here to live with your wives in an understanding way, there's no way around the fact that you need to take time, energy, and make effort to make sure that you truly understand where they're coming from before you jump in with your brilliant answer. Does that make sense? Anybody? Yes? Okay. He's saying, take the time to make sure Again, you may think that you understand. Make sure that they know that you understand where they're coming from. And guys, most of the time, we rush to the answer without first truly, truly caring. Okay? And it's just like, uh, in, a, in a broader sense, when anybody um, is facing a difficulty or a trial or anything like that, uh, the most important thing that we first need to do is just make sure that we connect and that they know that we truly love them. I know, it's, it, I know that it's an old cliche, but people really don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's what one of the things that Peter is calling husbands to here is to take the time, energy, and effort to understand their perspective. Number two, guys, you must make it abundantly clear that there is no human being on the planet that you cherish more than your wife. You must make it abundantly clear. He's like, to, to who? To her? To others? Yes, to everybody. You must make it abundantly clear that there is no human being on the planet that you cherish more than your wife. He says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. And here's the key phrase then. He says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. This word for showing honor, it's a, it's a very technical term that was used in the marketplace in terms of like setting a price on something or, or setting the value. I had a kind of a unique uh, story that somebody told me on, um, on Friday. It was a friend of mine who has a friend that makes, uh, th that's an artist and makes these bronze sculptures. And, he, and he's very good at it. He's like one of the best people in the world at doing this. And so sometimes in, in different town, if a town has had like a famous politician that's from there um, uh, or anybody famous from their town, he will make these real life like full to scale statues of these people and he makes them out of bronze and they're very expensive. And there's almost nobody else that does it. Okay. And so he makes these different these different statues, but because he, 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 because nobody else really does it, he kind of gets to set the price. He gets to set the value of that thing. And so I was asking him, like, well, man, like, how much is this? And he's like, oh, man, it was, that, that one's $125,000. That one's close to two hundred to $200,000. And when he says here, he says, show honor to the woman. He's saying, assign value to her. Set the price. Everybody should know, including your wife, that there is nothing, there is no other relationship on this planet that is more valued valuable to you than her. That she is the most costly thing in your life. And you don't regret that. You love that she is worth everything to you. Husbands, does your wife know that this morning? Does she know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that there is nothing more valuable 
in all of the world to you than her. Now, because I'm a guy, I might, you know, you're like, how do I do that? You have a lifetime to figure that out. I got one word for you, for starters. Google. <laughs> Ages past did not have this gift of common grace, but romantic dates. How do I cherish my wife? How do I, like just, guys, start somewhere. Start somewhere, okay? But the point is, guys, do, do something. Be intentional that everyone would know. And it says here, and again, I don't want to skip over this phrase, and so misunderstood, but it says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now again, sometimes, listen, and this gets butchered all the time, and ladies, I apologize if you've heard this butchered. Guys, in the Bible, nowhere does it say that women are, are weaker than men in any way except one. Generally speaking, they are physically weaker, okay, than than their husband. They're not emotionally weaker. They're not spiritually weaker. They're not mentally weaker. Okay? Any of those things. But they're physically weaker. And the idea here is that this weakness, it's not in any way that you're lesser in value intrinsically before God, but it's the idea of like a flower or like porcelain, like, like, part of, like a porcelain doll. Like part of what makes the flower beautiful is its physical fragility. Part of what makes the doll beautiful is that it's made of this porcelain or, or of this glass. And husbands, the takeaway for you is that, I don't know how else to say this, I think you'll get this. Husbands, your wife is not a dude. Yeah? Don't treat her like one. That's it. Okay? Okay, moving right along. I can tell that went over well. Now, those are the only two things that he gives us, okay? And husband, but I'm husbands, I'm telling you, if you do those things, it's going to help bring your wife into the fullness of her potential in Jesus Christ. But now he gives two logical reasons as to why we should do those things. Quickly, he says, whether or not you do these things is an indicator of whether or not you understand the grace that God has shown you. So he says, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Why? Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. That husbands, when you, when you were weak, when you were nothing, Christ came to you and he showed you gentleness. He drew you by his kindness to himself that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You have been shown grace. He's saying, husbands, you better show grace to your wife. Because if you don't live in a gracious way with your wife, then it is proof that you do not understand the grace that God has shown you. Grace changes everything, guys. That's why we talk so much about it here at Mercy Hill, because if you don't understand grace, then you are not going to live in holiness as Christ calls you to live. But if you understand the grace and the mercy that God has shown you, then that grace should come out in all, area of your li- in all areas of your life, in all relationships, but especially in your relationship with your wife and with your family. He has shown you grace so that you can show grace. And he is so serious about this. And guys, and this is where I love Peter here because he's, he's not messing around with the guys. Guys, sometimes you need to be talked to as a guy. Okay? You need to man up and not shrink back. And here's what he says, and it's a very pretty dire warning. Okay? 
He says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, get this, so that your prayers will not be hindered. What's he saying? He's saying, if you don't live with your wife in a gracious way, if you don't show grace to your wife in a way that shows that you understand that God has shown you grace, then listen, then don't expect me to answer your prayers. And that's shocking to a lot because, well, man, I, all you need to do in prayer is if I'm just sincere. That's not true. Nowhere does the Bible teach that. On a broader scale, James also follows it up and he says, you know, you, you ask and you don't receive because you ask according to your own selfish motives. Sometimes we think, well, if I'm just sincere, then God, I mean, sincerity is good, it's important. But if it's not sincere according to knowledge and according to God's will and according to the Bible and for his glory and for the good of others, then no, your prayers are going to be hindered. Now, listen, he doesn't say that they won't be heard, but he says they're going to be hindered. So guys, this is very, this is very brass tacks, okay? This is very like shoe leather gospel where the rubber hits the road. Is if there's a certain area of your life that maybe you're praying about and you can't see breakthrough, one of the places you need to look, guys, is how are you treating your wife? If you're praying and you're praying and you're praying, like, does God not hear me? Does he not want to answer? Is God not? No, God's good, but God's saying, I'm not doing a thing until you fix this. And guys, he'll deal with us like that sometimes. And it's ultimately for our good that Christ would be formed in us and that our wives, our children, our families, our communities, and the world around us would be blessed through us. Okay? He says, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Worship team, you can come up and we're going to close. And I'm just going to ask that you guys would bow your heads with me as we close. I want you to just take a moment today. And again, this is, uh, it's been very, very practical, uh, very real, what Peter has for us here. But to those of you that are married, I, I just want to ask a couple questions. I mean, to all of us, but first of all, for those of you that are married. Husbands and wives, is the gospel of Jesus Christ the center and the foundation of your marriage? All those promises that I read at the beginning that you have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, that you've been given a new life, that you've been given a new hope, that you've been made his people, that you've been made his children, that he's your father, that you've been ransomed. Do you celebrate those things in your marriage? Husbands, it doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert or if you're outgoing or if you're more laid back and quiet. Husbands, I want to tell you something. It's your responsibility to remind your wife and your family and yourself of the good news of the gospel. You need to take the lead in that. And marriage is not just difficult, it's downright impossible, apart from the good news of the gospel and from the help of the Holy Spirit. So is your marriage centered on the gospel this morning? Secondly, to wives. Wives, as we unpack this morning, Peter's picture, Peter's definition of beauty, is that the same as your definition of beauty? Again, re repentance starts, it, it works itself out in our life, but it starts with a change of mind. It starts with a change of heart. 
Um, and ladies, in total humility this morning, as much as I can as a guy, but as your, your pastor and one of your shepherds, I want to call you to embrace the definition of beauty that God's Word gives. Um, not one that the world gives. And lastly, guys, are you a Christ-like leader? And are you a leader that you would want to follow? If you were your wife, if you were your kids, if you were people in the community, would you want to follow you? Or maybe not so much. And again, I call you this morning. Guys, it's good news that no matter where we're at, and you know, again, the intent here is never to, to beat up, but to build up. Um, but if you find yourself lacking in any of these areas this morning, because of what Jesus Christ has done, we have opportunity to come again um, and to set ourselves right with Him by just simply confessing where we're not beautiful in the way that He wants us to be beautiful or where we're not good leaders in the way that He calls us to lead. Um, guys, our marriages are a testimony to the watching world. Um, and it takes two. And wives, you cannot choose for your husbands. And husbands, you cannot choose for your wives. But for each one of us, we must choose to follow Jesus and Him above all else. So Father, I thank you this morning for your love, and I thank you for your kindness. And Lord, I thank you that you give opportunity always to not remain as we are, but to change, but to follow you. Um, but to become more like you. Not in our own strength, but in yours. And Father, I pray that as we come to your table this morning, Father, that we would remember what submission looks like. That not our will but yours be done. Broken body, you poured out blood. Um, but Father, also what it looked like to lead. That Jesus, you are the greatest leader that ever lived. And you gave up your life. You laid it down. Even for your enemies. So Father, please form Christ in us. Form Christ in our marriages. Let them be honoring and glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen.